This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 1, Chapter 8. O'er him whose doom thy virtues grieve, Aerial forms shall sit at eve, And bend the pensive head. Collins The monk who had before appeared, Returned in the evening to offer consolation to Emily, And brought a kind message from the lady abbess, Inviting her to the convent. Emily, though she did not accept the offer, returned an answer expressive of her gratitude. The holy conversation of the friar, whose mild benevolence of manners bore some resemblance to those of Saint-Aubert, soothed the violence of her grief, and lifted her heart to the being who, extending through all place and all eternity, looks on the events of this little world as on the shadows of a moment, and beholds equally, and in the same instant, the soul that has passed through the gates of death and that which still lingers in the body. "'In the sight of God,' said Emily, "'my dear father now exists as truly as he yesterday existed to me. "'It is to me only that he is dead. "'To God and to himself he yet lives.' "'The good monk left her more tranquil than she had been since Saint-Aubert died, "'and before she retired to her little cabin for the night, "'she trusted herself so far as to visit the corpse.' Silent and without weeping, she stood by its side. The features, placid and serene, told the nature of the last sensations that had lingered in the now deserted frame. For a moment she turned away, in horror of the stillness in which death had fixed that countenance, never till now seen otherwise than animated, then gazed on it with a mixture of doubt and awful astonishment. Her reason could scarcely overcome an involuntary and unaccountable expectation of seeing that beloved countenance still susceptible. She continued to gaze wildly, took up the cold hand, spoke, still gazed and then burst into a transport of grief. La voisin, hearing her sobs, came into the room to lead her away, but she heard nothing and only begged that he would leave her. Again alone she indulged her tears, and when the gloom of evening obscured the chamber, and almost veiled from her eyes the object of her distress, she still hung over the body, till her spirits at length were exhausted, and she became tranquil. La voisin again knocked at the door, and entreated that she would come to the common apartment. Before she went, she kissed the lips of Saint-Aubert, as she was wont to do when she bade him good-night. Again she kissed them. Her heart felt as if it would break. A few tears of agony started to her eyes. She looked up to heaven, then at Saint-Aubert, and left the room. Retired to her lonely cabin, her melancholy thoughts still hovered round the body of her deceased parent. And when she sunk into a kind of slumber, the images of her waking mind still haunted her fancy. She thought she saw her father approaching her with a benign countenance. 
then smiling mournfully and pointing upwards his lips moved but instead of words she heard sweet music borne on the distant air and presently saw his features glow with the mild rapture of a superior being the strain seemed to swell louder and she awoke the vision was gone but music yet came to her ear in strains such as angels might breathe she doubted listened raised herself in the bed and again listened it was music and not an illusion of her imagination after a solemn steady harmony it paused then rose again in mournful sweetness and then died in a cadence that seemed to bear away the listening soul to heaven she instantly remembered the music of the preceding night with the strange circumstances related by la voisin and the affecting conversation it had led to concerning the state of departed spirits all that saint aubert had said on that subject now pressed upon her heart and overwhelmed it what a change in a few hours he who then could only conjecture was now made acquainted with truth was himself become one of the departed as she listened she was chilled with superstitious awe her tears stopped and she rose and went to the window all without was obscured in shade but emily turning her eyes from the massy darkness of the woods whose waving outline appeared on the horizon saw on the left that effulgent planet which the old man had pointed out setting over the woods she remembered what he had said concerning it and the music now coming at intervals on the air she unclosed the casement to listen to the strains that soon gradually sunk to a greater distance and tried to discover whence they came the obscurity prevented her from distinguishing any object on the green platform below and the sounds became fainter and fainter till they softened into silence she listened but they returned no more soon after she observed the planet trembling between the fringed tops of the woods and in the next moment sink behind them chilled with a melancholy awe she retired once more to her bed and at length forgot for a while her sorrows in sleep on the following morning she was visited by a sister of the convent who came with kind offices and a second invitation from the lady abbess and emily though she could not forsake the cottage while the remains of her father were still in it consented however painful such a visit must be in the present state of her spirits to pay her respects to the abbess in the evening about an hour before sunset la voisin showed her the way through the woods to the convent which stood in a small bay of the mediterranean crowned by a woody amphitheatre and emily had she been less unhappy would have admired the extensive sea-view that appeared from the green slope in front of the edifice and the rich shores hung with woods and pastures that extended on either hand but her thoughts were now occupied by one sad idea and the features of nature were to her colourless and without form the bell for vespers struck as she passed the ancient gate of the convent and seemed the funereal note for saint aubert little incidents affect a mind enervated by sorrow emily struggled against the sickening faintness that came over her 
and was led into the presence of the abbess, who received her with an air of maternal tenderness, an air of such gentle solicitude and consideration as touched her with an instantaneous gratitude. Her eyes were filled with tears, and the words she would have spoken faltered on her lips. The abbess led her to a seat and sat down beside her, still holding her hand and regarding her in silence, as Emily dried her tears and attempted to speak. "'Be composed, my daughter,' said the abbess in a soothing voice. "'Do not speak yet. I know all you would say. Your spirits must be soothed. We are going to prayers. Will you attend our evening service?' It is comfortable, my child, to look up in our afflictions to a father who sees and pities us, and who chastens in his mercy. Emily's tears flowed again, but a thousand sweet emotions mingled with them. The abbess suffered her to weep without interruption, and watched over her with a look of benignity that might have characterized the countenance of a guardian angel. Emily, when she became tranquil, was encouraged to speak without reserve, and to mention the motive that made her unwilling to quit the cottage, which the abbess did not oppose even by a hint, but praised the filial piety of her conduct, and added a hope that she would pass a few days at the convent before she returned to La Vallée. "'You must allow yourself a little time to recover from your first shock, my daughter, before you encounter a second. I will not affect to conceal from you how much I know your heart must suffer on returning to the scene of your former happiness. Here you will have all that quiet and sympathy and religion can give to restore your spirits. But come, added she, observing the tears swell in Emily's eyes, we will go to the chapel. Emily followed to the parlour where the nuns were assembled, to whom the abbess committed her, saying, this is a daughter for whom I have much esteem. Be sisters to her. They passed on in a train to the chapel, where the solemn devotion with which the service was performed elevated her mind, and brought to it the comforts of faith and resignation. Twilight came on before the abbess's kindness would suffer Emily to depart, when she left the convent with a heart much lighter than she had entered it, and was reconducted by La Voisin through the woods, the pensive gloom of which was in unison with the temper of her mind, and she pursued the little wild path in musing silence, till her guide suddenly stopped, looked round, and then struck out of the path into the high grass, saying he had mistaken the road. He now walked on quickly, and Emily, proceeding with difficulty over the obscured and uneven ground, was left at some distance, till her voice arrested him, who seemed unwilling to stop, and still hurried on. "'If you are in doubt about the way,' said Emily, "'had we not better inquire it at the chateau yonder, between the trees?' "'No,' replied La Voisin, "'there is no occasion. When we reach that brook, mademoiselle, you see the light upon the water there, beyond the woods. When we reach that brook, we shall be at home presently. I don't know how I happen to mistake the path, I seldom come this way after sunset. It is solitary enough, said Emily, but you have no banditti here. No, mademoiselle, no banditti. What are you afraid of, then, my good friend? You are not superstitious. 
No, not superstitious, but, to tell you the truth, lady, nobody likes to go near that chateau after dusk. By whom is it inhabited, said Emily, that is so formidable? Why, mademoiselle, it is scarcely inhabited, for our lord the Marquis, and the lord of all these fine woods, too, is dead. He had not once been in it for these many years, and his people, who have the care of it, live in a cottage close by. Emily now understood this to be the chateau which la voisin had formerly pointed out as having belonged to the Marquis Villeroy, on the mention of which her father had appeared so much affected. "'Ah, it is a desolate place now,' continued la voisin, "'and such a grand, fine place as I remember it.' Emily inquired what had occasioned this lamentable change, but the old man was silent and Emily, whose interest was awakened by the fear he had expressed, and above all by a recollection of her father's agitation, repeated the question, and added, "'If you are neither afraid of the inhabitants, my good friend, nor are superstitious, how happens it that you dread to pass near that chateau in the dark?' "'Perhaps, then, I am a little superstitious, mademoiselle, and if you knew what I do, you might be so, too. Strange things have happened there.' Monsieur, your good father, appeared to have known the late Marchioness. Pray inform me what did happen, said Emily with much emotion. Alas, mademoiselle, answered la voisin, inquire no further. It is not for me to lay open the domestic secrets of my lord. Emily, surprised by the old man's words and his manner of delivering them, forbore to repeat her question. A nearer interest, the remembrance of Saint-Aubert, occupied her thoughts, and she was led to recollect the music she heard on the preceding night, which she mentioned to la voisin. "'You was not alone, mademoiselle, in this,' he replied. "'I heard it too, but I have so often heard it at the same hour that I was scarcely surprised. "'You doubtless believe this music to have some connection with the chateau,' said Emily suddenly, "'and are therefore superstitious.' "'It may be so, mademoiselle, but there are other circumstances belonging to that chateau, which I remember, and sadly too.' A heavy sigh followed, but Emily's delicacy restrained the curiosity these words revived, and she inquired no further. On reaching the cottage, all the violence of her grief returned. It seemed as if she had escaped its heavy pressure only while she was removed from the object of it. She passed immediately to the chamber where the remains of her father were laid, and yielded to all the anguish of hopeless grief. La voisin at length persuaded her to leave the room, and she returned to her own, where, exhausted by the sufferings of the day, she soon fell into a deep sleep, and awoke considerably refreshed. When the dreadful hour arrived in which the remains of Saint-Aubert were to be taken from her for ever, she went alone to the chamber to look upon his countenance yet once again. And la voisin, who had waited patiently below stairs, till her despair should subside, with the respect due to grief, forbore to interrupt the indulgence of it, till surprise at the length of her stay, and then apprehension overcame his delicacy, and he went to lead her from the chamber. Having tapped gently at the door, without receiving an answer, he listened attentively, but all was still. No sigh, no sob of anguish was heard. 
yet more alarmed by this silence he opened the door and found emily lying senseless across the foot of the bed near which stood the coffin his calls procured assistance and she was carried to her room where proper applications at length restored her during her state of insensibility la voisin had given directions for the coffin to be closed and he succeeded in persuading emily to forbear revisiting the chamber she indeed felt herself unequal to this and also perceived the necessity of sparing her spirits and recollecting fortitude sufficient to bear her through the approaching scene st aubert had given a particular injunction that his remains should be interred in the church of the convent of st clair and in mentioning the north chancel near the ancient tomb of the villeroy had pointed out the exact spot where he wished to be laid the superior had granted this place for the interment and thither therefore the sad procession now moved which was met at the gates by the venerable priest followed by a train of friars every person who heard the solemn chant of the anthem and the peal of the organ that struck up when the body entered the church and saw also the feeble steps and the assumed tranquillity of emily gave her involuntary tears she shed none but walked her face partly shaded by a thin black veil between two persons who supported her preceded by the abbess and followed by the nuns whose plaintive voices mellowed the swelling harmony of the dirge when the procession came to the grave the music ceased emily drew the veil entirely over her face and in a momentary pause between the anthem and the rest of the service her sobs were distinctly audible the holy father began the service and emily again commanded her feelings till the coffin was let down and she heard the earth rattle on its lid then as she shuddered a groan burst from her heart and she leaned for support on the person who stood next to her in a few moments she recovered and when she heard those affecting and sublime words his body is buried in peace and his soul returns to him that gave it her anguish softened into tears the abbess led her from the church into her own parlour and there administered all the consolations that religion and gentle sympathy can give emily struggled against the pressure of grief but the abbess observing her attentively ordered a bed to be prepared and recommended her to retire to repose she also kindly claimed her promise to remain a few days at the convent and emily who had no wish to return to the cottage the scene of all her sufferings had leisure now that no immediate care pressed upon her attention to feel the indisposition which disabled her from immediately travelling meanwhile the maternal kindness of the abbess and the gentle attentions of the nuns did all that was possible towards soothing her spirits and restoring her health but the latter was too deeply wounded through the medium of her mind to be quickly revived she lingered for some weeks at the convent under the influence of a slow fever wishing to return home yet unable to go thither often even reluctant to leave the spot where her father's relics were deposited and sometimes soothing herself with the consideration that if she died here her remains would repose beside those of saint aubert 
In the meanwhile she sent letters to Madame Cheron and to the old housekeeper, informing them of the sad event that had taken place, and of her own situation. From her aunt she received an answer, abounding more in commonplace condolment than in trays of real sorrow, which assured her that a servant should be sent to conduct her to La Vallée, for that her own time was so much occupied by company that she had no leisure to undertake so long a journey. However Emily might prefer La Vallée to Toulouse, she could not be insensible to the indecorous and unkind conduct of her aunt, in suffering her to return thither where she had no longer a relation to console and protect her, a conduct which was the more culpable since Saint-Aubert had appointed Madame Cheron the guardian of his orphan daughter. Madame Cheron's servant made the attendance of the good la voisin unnecessary, and Emily, who felt sensibly her obligations to him for all his kind attention to her late father as well as to herself, was glad to spare him a long and what at his time of life must have been a troublesome journey. During her stay at the convent, the peace and sanctity that reigned within, the tranquil beauty of the scenery without, and the delicate attentions of the abbess and the nuns, were circumstances so soothing to her mind that they almost tempted her to leave a world where she had lost her dearest friends, and devote herself to the cloister, in a spot rendered sacred to her by containing the tomb of Saint-Aubert. The pensive enthusiasm, too, so natural to her temper, had spread a beautiful illusion over the sanctified retirement of a nun, that almost hid from her view the selfishness of its security. But the touches which a melancholy fancy, slightly tinctured with superstition, gave to the monastic scene, began to fade, as her spirits revived, and brought once more to her heart an image which had only transiently been banished thence. By this she was silently awakened to hope and comfort and sweet affections. Visions of happiness gleamed faintly at a distance, and though she knew them to be illusions, she could not resolve to shut them out for ever. It was the remembrance of Valancourt, of his taste, his genius, and of the countenance which glowed with both, that perhaps alone determined her to return to the world. The grandeur and sublimity of the scenes amidst which they had first met had fascinated her fancy, and had imperceptibly contributed to render Valancourt more interesting by seeming to communicate to him somewhat of their own character. The esteem, too, which Saint-Aubert had repeatedly expressed for him, sanctioned this kindness. But though his countenance and manner had continually expressed his admiration of her, he had not otherwise declared it, and even the hope of seeing him again was so distant that she was scarcely conscious of it, still less that it influenced her conduct on this occasion. End of Volume 1, Chapter 8 the first part.